Luke has brought to us a lot of the different characters, and I don't know how he knew about them. Evidently, there was a little research going on, the relationships that he had with the others and the stories they had heard, maybe talking to the people there, and, um, uh, but obviously, you know, there was an inspired writing of these drama characters. All right, I've got one for you. What did God say to Luke when he started writing the gospel of Luke? What did God say to him? He said, Luke, I am your father. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. It is the weekend. <laughs> see, some of you have already been to see the movie. I knew that. I knew that. All right. But in this story, there's a man who shows up as a most insignificant person. He really is not attached to the religious order. He's not the, you know, relative of someone involved. He's just a man who lived for God every day in a really special way, just gave his life. So let me read the story to you. Simeon, we're going to start with verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, and that would be 40 days when you had a male child, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. So notice that um, Mary and Joseph are, they are very devout, committed Jews. And so they are fulfilling the law in, in their life along with their families every day, every week, every month. And they're walking out the laws of the Old Testament. And so this is what they're doing. Now, what they, what they have with them in their hands is not the old covenant, but the new. Do you realize this? That they're fulfilling the old, but they in fact have within their possession the new that will blow the top off of the old uh, in the days to come. But they're fulfilling it as it was prescribed in the Old Testament, in the old covenant. And it says, and to offer a sacrifice According to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And um, uh, actually what the Old Testament said was in Leviticus that when you were bringing a child and your days of purification were done, you would bring a lamb and a pigeon or turtle dove. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, then you would bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. And so... This is why we kind of know and from other indications that Mary and Joseph really didn't have a lot of money here. They, were, uh, they couldn't even afford to buy a lamb. And of course, that plays into the hand of the story because they have the Lamb of God that will be sacrificed for the sins of the world in their arms. And so it would be somewhat inappropriate for them to be bringing a lamb on that occasion. So there 
they walked into the door. Normally what happens is when you walk into the, um, into the uh, temple, there's a specific priest who is waiting for those who are coming sometime during the week. This is not Saturday worship for them. This is, this is someday during the week they're coming. The 40 days are up. I'm coming and, and, uh, to be purified and, and blessed by the priest. And so I'm going to, you know, bring my baby and they'll know this when I walk through the gate. But on this occasion, before that happened, as they walked into the gate, here stood a man. His name here, let's read it. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is that? The consolation or comfort or comforter. This is actually, you know, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that I will bring you another comforter. Jesus, to the, to the old covenant Jew, the, um, and really to someone, a Jew who has not yet experienced the coming of the Messiah, they're looking toward a Messiah. And that Messiah is referred to as the consolation or the comforter. And so Jesus came to be the first comforter. Then when he left and sent the Holy Spirit, he was another comforter. And so that's reference there is to the coming of the Messiah, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple and uh, notice, notice here, this is why we know this is not the priest. This is not the priest. This is a man who was spending a lot of his time in prayer and, and study and seeking God. And he was close enough to God even without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This man was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that the Spirit one day said to him, get up and go to the temple. Now, he didn't know why. I, there's, he... He knows in his heart that before he dies, God has spoken to him by the Spirit. Before he dies, he's going to see the Christ. But how does he know that it's a child? He might be someday just bump into a man who is the Messiah. He doesn't know how the revelation is coming. But the Holy Spirit says, go to the temple. And he goes. There he is at the temple with all the normal activity happening. And there are people everywhere. And, and when this a uh, young couple walks in with this child. Somehow, he just knew this is the Messiah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having that kind of boldness, walking up to a family, let me take your child from you? I mean, that's what he did. He took the child and embraced the child and began to bless him. But, but Simeon was a man who, who was absolutely confident in this. He knew the voice of the Holy Spirit. He was quite the man, and he took the child, and it says that when the parents brought the child, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles 
and the glory of your people Israel. Notice he included the Gentiles. Um, uh, Simeon knew what was, he knew the implication of what was going to happen on the earth. He was not deterred by their traditions. He knew what was, he knew the promise to Abraham that it would include the Gentiles. And he said, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will, will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I'm going to ask Simeon to come back here for a moment and ask you a few questions. I think in some ways, I want to be like Simeon when I grow up. He reached a time in his life where he's really near the end. We don't know how old he was, but he was old enough to have his death delayed. He was old enough to be able to, he's actually holding off in his own soul. He wants to go be with the Lord. But he's holding off because of the promise. I'm going to let him ask us a few questions. Here's the first one he would ask us. What are you waiting for? Now, the way I said that, you think, like, hurry up. What are you waiting for? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, what is it in your life that you are waiting for? That one question will set some things straight for this coming year. What is it that you are anticipating? Because that answer will tell you what motivates you when you get out of bed in the morning. The answer to that question will actually help you see and decide why you do what you do. What is it that you're actually working toward? What are you waiting for? What are you, what are you waiting, anticipating to happen in your life? Is it, you know, that you're going to make twice as much money next year as you made this year? I mean, that may be a part of it. I'm not, you know, saying that's a bad thing necessarily, but, but what is... Get this in context now. Maybe you're just waiting for, you know, your ship to come in and, and uh, maybe some inheritance will happen. Maybe you're waiting for, you know, the, the right person for you in your life. Maybe you're, you're waiting for uh, some good things to happen because, man, it's just been so bad up till now. What is it that you are waiting for, anticipating? Here's a man who knew how to wait for the right thing. He was anticipating the coming of the Messiah. He was anticipating the Savior of the world. And to the extent that God was able to show him that he's coming in your lifetime and you're going to see him before you die. What, what is it that you must see before you die? That's the question. What is it that has to happen in your life before you leave the planet. That ought to be driving you somewhere. Now listen, listen. In today's world and in our 
Christian experience, what I've discovered is that a lot of people are kind of stuck back there where where, uh, Simeon was. A lot of people are still anticipating. Now, don't throw me out of church today, okay? If you've been around a while, you know that I'm a well-balanced person, right? You with me? Okay? All right. So, but a lot of people are still waiting for the coming of the Lord. Pause. Nobody's throwing me out yet. I know what the Bible says about the end. I know, I know what, I can see the things that are coming down the pike. Some of us, we may disagree on that. But did you know, and just, just bear with me for a moment now, just bear with me because I've got to help us think straight about what we ought to be anticipating. Because many times what we anticipate is for him to show up just to end this thing. Oh, God, would you please come back? Did you know that there's a lot, there's a little talk in the Bible about things to come. Did you know that the term second coming is not even used in the Scripture? I'm not saying that Jesus is not coming back. I'm saying that we have brought such focus to a second coming that we've missed out on the first coming. That's what I'm saying. Is that when Jesus came, he brought a whole new mission and vision to the planet. He brought a completely different uh, focus on the future for us. Because he's here, he's not just out there somewhere. He's actually here now with us to accomplish something. Do you see that? We're not just saying, oh, Lord, please show up. He's already here. See, we are able to see him in our lifetime by the Holy Spirit. And so our anticipation should be what he's given us to see. I'll tell you what he's talked a lot about. It's about what he's going to accomplish that will end up being, listen, I like to call the end the consummation of all things because there's a lot happening and it will come to a moment of consummation, yes, but it's, it's the journey here. It's Jesus has said, I will make disciples of all the nations. I will pre- you will preach the gospel to every creature. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He's actually given us a vision for our future. What are you anticipating? See, we should be spending the right kind of time with God looking into His Word and discovering what it is I ought to be anticipating. Because what I should be anticipating is what He's going to do in and through my life to bring other people to Christ. That's really what I should be focused on in my life. Carol shared that story this morning about being in line. And that's... You know, those, are, those opportunities are there every day. We're talking, though, about also living your life in a way that demonstrates the kingdom and glory of God. Learn how to attach everything you do throughout your day. Learn how to attach that to the anticipation of what Jesus is accomplishing on the planet. See, um, by the Holy Spirit... By the Holy Spirit, Simeon could see things that others couldn't see. You know, that little drummer boy phrase, do you see what I see? That would be the next question that he would ask us. 
Do you see what I see? Another one would be, where are you you spending your time? Because he was spending his time in a way that he could see things that others couldn't see. He could anticipate. He could hear what God was saying in the moment. I think sometimes we get the wrong idea of how God changes the world. It's no different than the Christmas story. This is what we're trying to learn. It's no different than the Christmas story. You see, we think that if, you know, Lord, if you would just squish this dictator over here, if you would take care of that world leader over there, if you would just change the way that country does things, we'll have peace on the earth. We're expecting an outward circumstantial change. Have you noticed that change doesn't continue unless the heart has changed? Have you noticed that? That even if the circumstances change, it'll come right back to where it was before because hearts haven't changed. And the way God changes the world is the same way he changed the world in this story. He didn't send an already existing on-the-throne king. He didn't even establish that. What he did was he brought the fullness of himself into the context of one cell and joined with mankind forever. And he became a child. And the child grew up didn't have a title, didn't have, you know, a religious position. He just lived, and he impacted the people around him and and gave his life. The same God changes the world the same way now. He will do something in your world that may seem really insignificant. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, most of the Romans didn't even know it was happening. The world, by and large, was not even paying attention. The Roman government was not overthrown. By the way, though, about 300 years later, most Romans were Christians. Because that's how God works. He changes the world one person at a time. He does it from heart to heart. And he moves in in communities and in families, and this is how he works. And then communities change and nations change because people have changed. That's how God works. Set your mind and heart on what he's after because that's what he's after. And the way he's going to accomplish accomplish that is not just by your vote. It's how you influence your neighbor. It's how you reach out to your own family members. This this is an awesome week to put this into practice because we are called to be simians to the world. So, do you see what I see? Then he turns to Mary and says, and I'm just giving it one phrase, Are you prepared for future challenges? You know, I love to hear, I love to have people prophesy over me. I'm not sure I want Simeon prophesying over me, okay? Because his prophecy was pretty sticky. 
But have you noticed that this is what life is like? That as we anticipate the next year, we think somehow maybe that we can organize our year in such a way that it's going to be an awesome, perfect year. And yet, we live in this world that's fallen. And there are going to be struggles, and there are going to be issues, and, and we're going to have to go through cross experiences. And we're going to feel the, 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 the struggle in our hearts as we go through it. And Simeon said, Mary, even you are going to feel the piercing of the sword in your own soul. He said, but listen, it's so that the hearts of many will be revealed. When God meets us, this, when we go through our cross experience, just remember, no matter where it came from, know that God's purpose is to get to our heart. It's to get to the heart of the matter. That's what he's after. And if he gets to your heart, then he'll get to the heart of those around you. There's one more character we're going to look at here, and her name is Anna. And uh, becomes long-lost relative, Carol. So Craig shared with you this morning the story of Simeon, and I'm going to close the series that we've done on the characters of Christmas by talking to you about one more character in the Christmas story. Her name is Anna, and there are only three verses in the entire New Testament that are given to this woman by the name of Anna. The three verses that talk about her life hold only four sentences, and yet the Holy Spirit determined that her life was important that the Holy Spirit took time and, and communicated to us what happened in the life of Anna and through the life of Anna at Christmas time. You see, you and I can't understand the whole Christmas story without looking at the life of Anna. So let's read from Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. The first thing that the Bible tells us about Anna is that she was a prophetess. And I love it that the Bible gives us that detail about the life of, it, of Anna. She was a woman who heard from God. She listened for God's voice, and she gave her mouth to be used in his service. Um, she, she heard things that other people didn't hear. She said things that other people had not been trusted to say. Her heart was in sync and unison with God, the creator of the universe, and he was using her to tell his story, to tell his plans and his purposes. The Bible also tells us not only was she a prophetess, but she was the daughter of somebody named Phanuel, P-H-A-N. E-U-L. And this word Fanuel means vision of God. Pause there for a minute. 
Apparently, Anna had learned how to see things that others could not see and to hear things that others couldn't hear. Anna saw and heard from a kingdom that was unseeable and inaudible, and yet she heard it. She saw it. I want to be an Anna, don't you? I want to be a person at my moment in history who speaks the plan of God, who hears what others don't hear, and who sees what others don't see. Um, Now, Phanuel not only means vision of God, but Phanuel was also the place where Jacob in the Old Testament wrestled with God. Remember that story? that Jacob was out in the wilderness and he wrestled with God. And it was at that place, Phanuel, that God renamed Jacob. He named him Israel, which means God wins. You know what I wonder? I wonder if Anna had wrestled with God a time or two in her life. Some of you are wrestling with God right now. Of course she had. Of course Anna had wrestled with God. You don't get to be 84 years old without wrestling over a few issues in your life, do you? But this is the thing about wrestling with God. I can tell you right now who's going to win because he's never lost a battle yet. And in the wrestle, what happens to us is that we get a new name, victorious, triumphant. God works in us until he wins in us. So this prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, vision of God, the place where Jacob wrestled and was renamed, Anna knew the meaning of victory in spite of pain. Now, the Bible also tells us that Anna and her parent, Phanuel, were of the tribe of Asher. Um, And the name Asher actually means happy. This, this one tribe of Israel, there are 12 tribes. Asher was one of the tribes. This tribe of Asher didn't do everything right all the time. But the name Asher actually means happy. Now, let me tell you something about names in the Bible. Names mean something in the Bible. And when the Bible gives us somebody's name, it's for reason. It's for purpose. The meaning of their name is not to be disregarded. So when the Holy Spirit deems it important enough to know somebody's genealogy and know their name, we need to look for meaning. We need to determine why the Holy Spirit gave us that detail. And so we know that Anna was a prophetess who had a vision of God and who was happy. Anna was a happy woman. She was victorious and happy in spite of the circumstances of her life. So the Bible tells us that she had been married and that her husband had lived seven years into their marriage And then he died, and she was a widow. And the Bible also tells us that she was 84 years old when this story takes place. So one thing we know about this moment in history is that girls got married at like 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. So let's just say that she was 15 on the older side when she got married. She was married for seven years. That would make her 22. Now she's 84. That means she was a widow for 62 years, over six decades of disappointment, of being reminded that her life hadn't turned out the way she wanted it to turn out. Did Anna wallow in her pain? Did Anna talk about her grief? 
did Anna, was she consumed with how disappointed she was with life? No, she gave her life to the Lord. She served him every day. She gave every year of disappointment to service in the kingdom of God, to listening for his life, to seeing what he was up to. Anna was victorious. She was happy. Rather than talking about her pain, she was a prophetess. And her mouth declared the plans of God. Now, verse 37 in Luke chapter 2 tells us that she served day and night with fastings and prayer. Anna kept her heart and her eyes on God. She was consumed with his plans and purposes. She wasn't paralyzed by her pain, but she was constant in her devotion to God. This was a woman who knew that she was born to worship, and she stayed in that calling even when her life may not have turned out the way she had hoped it would. She stayed in a place of worship. Let's read verse 38 one more time. And at the very moment, this is when Simeon had blessed Jesus. And at that very moment, she came up and she began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him, that's him with a capital H, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So when she saw Jesus, she broke out into worship. She couldn't stop talking about him. Her, her disappointment was such a minor part of her life. All she could talk about was Jesus. Everywhere she went, she talked about the one who had come to redeem Israel. So what have we learned from Anna this morning? Three things. First of all, if you're old, okay, I'm just saying, I'm 61, so I'm just going to say if you're older than 61, okay, that covers us. God isn't finished with you yet. He's got a plan and a purpose. So stay in a place of hope like Anna did. Regardless of your age, stay in a place of hope. If you are still sucking in oxygen, you can still see what others don't see. You can still hear God's voice, and you can still talk about his plans and purposes. You know, many older people give up emotionally and spiritually. Don't do that. God is not done with you yet. Keep listening for God's voice. Pray night and day for the plans and purposes of God to be accomplished in this generation. We need some Annas who will rise up in the church and say, I will pray. I will fast. I will hear from God. I will declare what he is doing. We need some people who will rise up and say, my bones might be creaking, and I might not be around here much longer, but today I will not waste one day of the life that I've been given for his kingdom. So lesson number two, the life of Anna speaks to those who've been disappointed by their circumstances. The, the life of Anna speaks to those of us whose lives haven't turned out the way we thought they were going to. And I learned from Anna not to talk about my pain, but to talk about God's plan. To give God lordship and authority in my mouth. Listen, if you're disappointed with life, let me challenge you. Ask God to help you see things that others don't see. Ask God to help you hear things 
that others are unable to hear. Sometimes I think that pain and brokenness enables us to hear from God in a way that others cannot and do not. So don't use your pain as an excuse. Use it as a launching board to be somebody who God uses at this moment in history. You know, people who have dealt with pain and disappointment in life usually do one of two things. They either run toward God or they run away from God. Well, Anna was one of the ones who ran toward God. She wrestled with God, came out victorious. And what we see in retrospect in her story is that she might have been disappointed with life, but God had chosen her for greatness. I don't know what you've gone through this year, but I can tell you this. God has chosen you for greatness. And the third thing we learn from Anna is this. Don't waste the weight, okay? We all have a weight. We all have something that we're waiting for. Anna and Simeon were both waiting for the Messiah, and Anna waited a long time. She waited a very long time, an unending time, but she didn't waste her weight. She stayed close to the heart of God. She prayed and fasted and worshiped. Anna's life was not a waste, even though it didn't turn out the way most women's lives at that moment in history turned out. She might have thought she was going to be holding babies, but all she did was stand in the temple and watch other mamas bring their babies for dedication. Anna's life was not a weight. It was an incredible example of what one woman can do by determining to stay close to God, to hear his voice, and to speak his words. Anna wasn't defined by her pain, her disappointment, or her wrestle. She will always be remembered as the woman who couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Listen, that's our role in the Christmas story too, that we will be remembered as the ones in our moment in history who can't stop talking about Jesus. I want to be remembered that way, don't you? Amen. Craig is going to come and close us now. Let's all stand together. Let's stand. Just bow your heads before the Lord this morning. Really, there's an awesome lesson with Simeon and Anna at this particular time of year where, where they are actually in the latter part of their lives having gone through all of the things that they've gone through, they have set their focus to anticipate the work of God in their life to come. What is it that you're anticipating? Where is your hope founded? What are you truly looking forward to when it's all said and done? Lord, I pray that as we begin to plan for this coming year, that we will set times of prayer and fasting and worship, that we'll find faithfulness in our worship and our times with you. Lord, that we will increase those moments and that we'll turn up the heat of our passion to seek you, to know you better, 
to walk with you more intently, to hear your voice, that the Holy Spirit would be able to direct us and show us and reveal to us and empower us. Lord, Lord, we give you our lives afresh this morning. Receive us, God, to take on the spirit of the prophet and the prophetess and to become people who will declare your glory when we see the king in everyday life, when we see the child, Jesus, show up in our world every day. May we declare that good news. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for this coming week and for the days to come, Lord, we pray for the grace to be a focused people, to seek your face and to be used for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.